open the word of the Lord to, we're going to go to various verses, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then we're going to read Genesis 2 and 5 and Genesis 2 and 15. So we'll start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Today I want to talk a couple of minutes about a title, interesting title, but you shall become gardeners. But you, you shall become gardeners. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And the word of the Lord reads as follows. God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image. Thank you, David. After our likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beasts, and over all the earth, and over everything that creeps upon the earth. My version might seem a little different than yours, because I'm reading from the Amplified Version today. And verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, using all of its vast resources in the service of God and man, and man, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. Now let's go a moment to Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Genesis 2, verse 5. And when no plant of the field was yet on the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth. And, say with me, and. and. It says, and there was no man to till the ground. So there was a very important function that man was going to have here on earth. But he wasn't there yet. And, and it's interesting that the Bible um, shares that, that God felt it was necessary to reveal that man wasn't there on earth to till the ground. But that we jump to Genesis 2.15, and it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and guard and keep it. So God put man on earth to tend, to guard, and to keep before he was there, there was no one to do it. So God had a specific purpose here on earth. And he blessed them. He said, be fruitful, be multiply, you know, be fruitful and multiply. In Spanish, enchid la tierra. It's a wonderful verse of, of the power of being able to take the resources, the natural resources here on earth, and do awesome things with it. Today we see buildings. We see bridges. We're building the Freedom Tower. I often marvel at how much metal and composite materials can stand on top of each other and not topple over. I often marvel at bridges that continue to stand there permanently. <laughs> you, you, you could confide, you could get to work every day because that bridge is not going to fall. It's going to remain there. But all that comes from the mind of man. God gave us that ability to see things that are not yet as though they were. Because in this verse, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. God speaks things that are not as though they were. So he's able to see an empty canvas and fill it and make things happen with it. And he gave us that ability here on earth. He gave us great responsibility. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Now I pray that you open up our understanding. Uh, dear Holy Spirit, teach us. Reveal to us, Lord God, that another step in your plan for our lives. Reveal to us a little more who we are in you on this earth, my God. That we might be able to give you great glory and honor. And like it says here, that we might serve you and man. Because you've given us that ability to tend, to guard, and to keep. Father, we thank you for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may uh, be seated. The word tend there comes from a very interesting 
Hebrew word. It's, it's a word that comes to mean to work. To tend is to work. God made mankind to be a working creation. We're not meant to just sit back and have people take care of us and not do anything. Actually, the man or woman that does that usually gets depressed. Men need to work. We need to produce because that's what we were made for. So when we're home and others are taking care of us, and meanwhile we're healthy, we get depressed. Or we get into foolish activity. Because we were really meant to produce. We are at our highest, at our apex, when we are producing. When we're crea- creating things that, that bless God and benefit mankind. So the word tend also means to till. The word till means to work with a ground until it becomes good or until it becomes suitable. So we have the ability to take things that are not suitable and make them suitable. We have, a, we have the ability to take things that are no good and make them good, make them useful. So I no longer look at things and say, ah, useless. No, because God gave me the ability to turn the useless into something useful. He gave me raw material. He gave me words. He gave me ideas. He gave me concepts. And I am still under the belief that the greatest discoveries haven't been made yet. I am totally convinced that the greatest discoveries, the greatest businesses, the greatest tchotchkes or things that people will use are on their way. They're still in the mind of man. Amen. They might be in your mind. Another thing about till, it means to cultivate. Cultivate. That word cultivate is to take something and work on it and fuss over it and tweak it until it pretty much produces. Right? So when God made man, he saw the land and he says... I need somebody like me to till this thing because it's in its simple form, but I see so many materials and there's so much that can be done on this earth. So I'm going to create somebody like me in that a person will be able to see something that's uncultivated, that's raw, and be able to change it and bring me glory and bring benefit to the rest of mankind. And then what he did was he, and we've said this before, he took a man or, or created out of the dust of the ground a body and then out of the dust of the body he formed it and then he put everything that that man would need to be able to produce what God wanted him to produce on earth. He put in him ideas, concepts. He put in him seed thoughts. He put language in him. He put sons and daughters and grandsons and daughters and great-great-grandsons and daughters and great-great-great-great-grandsons and daughters, you and me. Because you and me, we we were in there. He created everything in man, finished the project, then he breathed on him, activated him, and then he said, okay, Adam, begin the process that I already finished. So it's a finished work, but somebody needs to make it happen now here on earth. Why do you think Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. See, the will of God is perfected in heaven. And then God shows us his will. And then we begin to release it on earth. We begin to work it and cultivate it and till it. That's how come you you can't sit still when you see something uncultivated. You feel the need to get in there and, you know, and mess with it and, you know, and play with it and and tweak it. And you need to, you feel free, you're in a meeting, you're sitting there and the people are talking, they don't see it. And you get antsy and and the boss goes, okay, I know you want to say something, I see your body, you want to explode. What? Right? Nobody? (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. I just want to make sure you're still listening to me. I see some of your eyes are glazing over by now. Give me, give me half an hour because I have a point I want to bring. <laughs> so what happens is we have that ability. And unfortunately, most of us live our lives. We never 
enact or enforce or manifest that ability because people told us we could, people said we were stupid, people said you're never going to amount to anything. In school, people bullied you. Uh, maybe your own family never saw it in you or didn't understand this process because they were victims of victims of victims. Yeah. So this, that's all that we're able to share. And so you grew up thinking that you can't produce. Lie, you're amazing. You're incredible. You're an awesome producing machine. You, you have a monitor in your spirit, man, that can see things that are, that are not as though they were. So the reason why I'm sharing that, because now that was in the garden. But I have a, something very interesting. In John chapter 20, if we go there a moment, John chapter 20, verse 11. This was the third day. Jesus was in the tomb. And Mary came over to make sure everything was okay. Her and some ladies were watching the tomb. They were just there. And when she saw the stone rolled away, Jesus wasn't there any longer. Let me read it. John 20, 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And there she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to a woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they had laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not know that it was Jesus. When she heard this, when she sees the angel, she looks around and she sees a person. It was Jesus. But she did not know it was him. But it says this, he was standing there and Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she said, She, supposing him to be the gardener. I'm going to say it again. Supposing him to be the gardener. She saw him momentarily, and what she saw was a gardener. I'm going to say it the fourth time. When she saw that person... The implication she saw or the, the image, impression she got was that he was a gardener. And she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have lain him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary! And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, or Rabboni, or whichever way they say it, which is to say teacher. So she recognized that it was Jesus. But isn't it interesting? In the Old Testament, God says, Let us make man in our own image. And what do they create? A man that knows how to garden. A man that knows how to till, how to cultivate. A man that knows how to see something that is not as though it were. And begin to take the resources and to be able to take the pieces and make something awesome out of it. Wow. Yet in the New Testament, the last Adam, the first person to see him, says, Are you the gardener? Wow. See, in the Old Testament, they, guard, uh, they, they would garden the land. They would till the land. They would cultivate the land. And it produced for people. And it, it blessed people. Um, and, and even in, in the Old Testament, when God told the people to build a tabernacle, He specified, this is how I want you to build it. Use this material. Use that fabric. Use that precious metal. You combine it. Do this. Do that with it. And they get the idea. Of, wow, we can do things with it. You see in the old days, the ancient of ancient days, you see pyramids that were built. Many people still question today, how in the world did they get those stones up there? And so perfect. Well, we all know it's aliens that did it, of course. <laughs> I know, we still question. <laughs> well, invariably, and it's, it's got to be somebody from out, you know. But we're, we're amazed at what man has been able to accomplish, even in those days when we would suppose they did not have the types of technology that we had today. And even today, it amazes us so much that we still discuss their technologies, their belief systems, their mathematics. Even this year, they've made movies out of the Mayan mathematics and some of their predictions. Made a lot of money out of it. Is anything going to happen in December 2012? Yeah. You know what will happen? We're going to wake up again. We're going to go to work. We're going to pay our bills. Things like that. 
And the day after, we're going to pay our bills, get up and keep on going to work and stuff like that. But the interesting that, thing that gets me is that now the Lord Jesus comes and he creates a new type of man, the born-again man, the church. And what does the church do? Cultivate, till, see not as though it were, take things that are no good, that have been thrown away by society, bring them in, clean them, clean them up, till them, cultivate them, and they become precious works of art. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 13, the book of Mark, chapter 4, we see how we can co-labor with Almighty God and how we can co-till. We can co-till or co-cultivate with our words. Today, interesting, we till the land. You know what the land is today? The heart of man. Mark chapter 4. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The parable of the sower. The parable of the sower was the key parable to understand if they were to understand the truth of God. The rest of the parables or understanding the rest of the parables hinged on understanding this parable. So how are you going to understand all the parables? Then verse 14 says, The sower sows the word. Say with me, the sower sows the word. The parable said that, uh, that the, the sower would sow on this ground and then on that ground and then on that ground and that ground. And one, one soil, uh, immediately the seed died. On another soil, it would grow up and quickly uh, the sun would burn uh, the, uh, the little new fledgling plant. The other one, it would grow up for a while and then it gets choked off by other plants, other seeds. And then the fourth one, it would grow and produce and, and, and multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. But they didn't understand it. So they asked him, Jesus, what does this mean? He says, the sower is me. The sower will be you. What do we sow? The word. And so where do you sow it? Very simply. It, says, it keeps on reading. Watch. The sower sows the word. And those are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in there. In there. Those are the words when they hear. Force me takes away the message which is sown in them. All right, so that's the amplified. I have a different version right now, and it says the word that is sown in their hearts. So it's in them. <laughs> You're the man. So in them means in their hearts. The word heart there is not talking about that physical fleshly thing. It's your internal being. It's your soul man. It's your u unique person. The one that, that is, is awake and alive. And when the word gets sown in the heart of man, you have to be careful because your ground might be uncultivated. And if your ground is uncultivated, it says here, when the sower sows the word, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. Right now, I'm sowing the word of God to you. As soon as you leave from here, Satan is going to test your heart, your ground. And if you don't know how to take the word of God and sow it deep in your heart and let it take root, the enemy will come with some falsehood, with some lying philosophy. And immediately he'll take the word that God sowed in your heart through one of his sons and daughters and he'll rip it away from you. And it would not produce. It won't produce faith. It won't produce life. It won't produce the necessary healing you need. It won't reconnect you with the purposes of God. Hence, you'll continue to be a potential pearl. But you won't be able to be that manifested pearl because the enemy keeps on taking away from you the very thing that you need. So you need, as a, as, as a little seed, you need the ground, good ground. You need a sun. You need water. A second type of seed was sown in another type of ground. It says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately, they receive it, with, with, receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves. And so they only endure for a time. 
Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Interesting. They have stony ground. So there's nothing that the roots can grab onto. When tribulation or persecution comes, you see them, they receive the Lord, they cry, they rejoice. But the minute persecution comes, it says here, they stumble. But I want you to see something here. When persecution arises, on what account? On account of what? On account of the word. You see, some people say, well, well, why is God doing that to me? Why is the enemy? See, when I wasn't saved, nothing would happen. Everything was all right, which is a lie. You know it wasn't all right. But we get so used to our mess that anything different. <laughs> but it's not your fault. It's because of the word that was sown. The enemy's trying to get the word. And he's going to persecute you to try to get the word out of you. Because he doesn't want you to produce. He wants you to remain in uncultivated land. So he's going to throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at you. So that you would stop going to church and stop serving the Lord. And stop reading the word and stop praying. Because while you're praying and seeking the Lord and going to church and fellowshipping and sharing your testimony, you're dangerous to his kingdom. He doesn't want you doing that. You're powerful when you're doing that. You're functioning as God here on earth. Not as, you know, big God, little G. You're, you're able to produce life in others by sharing word, by cultivating others, by helping others. God said, let's make them in our image, in our likeness. So it's not that we're Him, but we represent Him in a small way. We can envision you, you're on dope, you're all messed up, you're on crack, you're, nobody wants you, your own family doesn't want you, you're in prison, yet you're seeing it says, mm-hmm, future prophet. Mm-hmm, future pastor. Come here a second, let me pray over you. And start cultivating and building that person up. You go to the street, you see a guy dressed in a way where you think, classically, they might not be a person you want to go next to, right? You know, they want to talk to you. Hey, how you doing? I want to talk to you about something. Don't, don't get close to me. I don't know you, man. No, no, listen, it's all right. I just want to share the word with you. I want to share a tract. I want to pray with you. If there's anything that I can pray with you. Meanwhile, they have a gun right inside. And yet, I see a, a future, you know, born-again businessman that's going to impact a, 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 an area of society that maybe I can't impact. Maybe a future evangelist that's not afraid of anything. Amen. Go into any terrain. Amen. Nicky Cruz was like that. He was yes. in a bad gang, a nasty gang. And David Wilkerson came from another state and came and, and ministered to this guy. And he threatened to kill him. Mm -hmm. he said, well, well Nicky, if you cut me up, every piece will say God loves you. And today, Nicky Cruz travels the world and ministers the word, the word of the Lord. Because somebody saw an old, uncultivated person, a person that wasn't worth anything too many, but yet he saw a future man of God, a future father, a future husband, a future grandfather that was going to impact his society and leave a legacy for others to follow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So what we have to do is we have to really shift who we think we are. Because you're so important, you're so vital. Yes. You're actually an extension of God's love to society. Amen. And you have the ability to come to people that are lost, dying, confused. They don't know what in the world they want to do. And you have the, 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 literally the ability, the power. In, in Acts chapter 2 it says, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, the first generation apostles, they were the eyewitnesses. They really were. They saw Jesus in his earthly ministry. So they really did become witnesses. And the word witness there was coupled with martyr. And so they were going to die for the faith because the, the people couldn't take them. They were too powerful. Wherever they would go, cities would turn upside down to right side up. Wherever they would go, they would expose lies. They would expose deceit. People would come to saving faith. The church started sprouting up all over the place. Hallelujah. There was a businessman. Uh, he was walking around. Uh, he, he, he served the queen in Africa somewhere. And meanwhile, Philip shows up. And he, he, he gets him saved and set free. Now, this businessman goes back and touches his people. Then the Holy Spirit takes him there and brings him all, um, other, uh, now to another place another city and now citywide revival takes place wow could you imagine yourself doing that well start imagining it because that's who you are Hallelujah. 
You're a very powerful human being. And part of your anointing is to see things that are not cultivated and begin to touch, to cultivate, to tweak, to be able to speak. That's why it's so important to watch the word you say. You have to be careful what you say to yourself and you have to be careful what you say to others because the Bible says there is death and life in the power of the tongue. And unfortunately, since we haven't known that, or our parents didn't know that, maybe our grandparents didn't know that, they didn't cultivate their children the right way. Two weeks ago, my wife and I, we were in Pennsylvania, and we just came out <clears throat> of a restaurant, it was breakfast, and I saw a grandmother, mother, and the child, the daughter, you know, it was a granddaughter. And I heard the grandmother say something very unseemly to the daughter, very nasty language to the daughter. And we're looking, both my wife and I, we looked at each other, said, whew, wow. Wonder what that child, how she's going to turn up under that continued, you know, pouring in, that get the continued impartation. And the mother was right there, didn't do anything about it. Because she doesn't know, she doesn't understand this principle. Oh, it's just the way she is. You know, when I learned this principle, even when my mother would tell me some stuff that was out of order. I would say, Mom, sorry, don't receive that. I reject that categorically from my life, my children, my grandchildren. No, I, I mean that because one time she tells me, no, no. She would say it over and over. Correct. She doesn't say it anymore, though. She would say this to me. She says, Victor, you have to be careful. Yes, she speaks like that. Although, you, know, you have to be careful. The Nazarios son loco. You know why she would say that? Because in Puerto Rico, when my dad was coming up, it was kind of a tough time. And he, he was in a very difficult part. He was raised up in a very difficult part. The way they fought was not talking. They would get machetes and they would hatchet themselves. This is how they fought. This was... They must... Right, yeah. <laughs> this is the way they fought. They, they were, what, you said something to me? Now, you know, there's a lot of it. Now it's, and now it's different. Now it's guns. But over there was machetes. So my mom saw that. That's what she... She understood the Nazarios to be. And with all due respect, uh, where's the, I don't have a hatchet. <laughs> I have a sword. <laughs> but, you know, and I would say that, I said, wow, yeah, we got some crazy family. You know, and and you know, I, was, I grew up understanding that. I remember one time I went to play basketball on 108th Street between Amsterdam and, and, Amsterdam and Columbus. And you know, when we used to play in, in the 70s and in the 60s, we would play ball and, and uh, there was a group would come in, they go, next. I don't know how, you, how it's done today, forget it, I'm out of touch. But in those days, we go, next, and then they would play the winner. So this one group comes in, you know, yeah, yeah, we're playing, we're playing, man, get, get, get out of here, come on, we're, and take our ball. But what they didn't realize is my cousin was with me that day. My cousin was from Puerto Rico. <laughs> They had migrated to Brooklyn. And he belonged to a very nasty gang. So these guys belonged to the gang in that area. See the savage nomads, young lords, something like that. You know, and, and, and some just a nasty gang there. And they had guns. But so did my cousin. So they came in, give, give me the ball, give me the ball. And my cousin says, excuse me, we're playing here. He said, no, you get out. He says, uh, no, I'm not going to get out. And, and furthermore, let me tell you something. I don't like the attitude. And I, I called my boys right now, and they started. And I went, cause, cause, please, I live here, man. And I'm talking to them in a year. You, you know how you talk, but nobody knows. But you, cause, please. No, 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 that's it, man. Today I go to jail, man. Today. I, oh, oh. And meanwhile, you know, I'm doing one of these. You know, no, no. Because I live there. They know me. They know my parents and my family. These people didn't fight fair. So finally, the guy calmed down. The other guys calmed down. I took him with me. Listen, listen. You're visiting the family today. We want our family to remain alive after today. So come on, come with us. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, that's okay. Oh. But meanwhile, I know none of you understand what I'm saying. I know that. I just know that. You're from the suburbs somewhere, right? Oh. See, so... When my mother would tell me, los Nazarios son loco, los Nazarios are crazy, I, I would say, yeah, I guess, because I've seen enough to, for, for there to be an implication that that's what's in my genes, right? <laughs> but then when I came to the Lord, and I started understanding these principles, 
And I started understanding that they're basically victims or they were raised up in an environment that was not a godly, Christian, word-based environment. You can't blame them. That's what they know. So then my job then would be to speak to my cousin and tell him, listen, let me start breaking down some arguments and some philosophies. We've got to get you straight because you're out of order. So I didn't know at that time because I myself didn't know. But later on now, my mom w- would say that, oh, no, no, los nosarios son locos. I said, mom, with all due respect, you know, I love you, but you're way off. I'm a nosario, right? And we're good people. Amen. We're anointed people. We're Amen. godly people. Amen? We're going to leave a legacy that's going to bring glory to God and great benefit to society. So please never say that again in my... I categorically, and I will say just like that, I categorically reject what you're saying about me. I'm a man of God. God says He loves me. I'm blessed and favored. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Amen. I'm an ambassador. See, so I, I, would, I would throw it. And she says, ay, 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 ay. No, there my kids. <laughs> she said, but, but she understood that. And now she doesn't say that anymore. Amen. I cultivated something different. But that came because somebody cultivated me. Somebody loved me enough. Sunday school people get up. And instead of seeing 40 or 50 people in Sunday school, maybe with two or three young people. But yet somebody did that for me. They loved me enough to share the word of the Lord with me. And they started cultivating, Victor, uh, if I were you, I'd stop thinking this way. Because, look what the Word says about you. Look how God formed you. Look how God made you to be. Look look at the the, the nature of mankind when God created man. That's the way we're supposed to be. Jesus is the last Adam. He came to correct the mistake that the first Adam had made. So I went, wow, that's awesome. So little by little, I started getting this consciousness that I am one of those that are called of God to be able to cultivate others. And I'm sharing that with you because you are the same just like me. You're a child of God also. Point to your neighbor and say, you're a child of God. Child of God. Hallelujah. And you also have a mouth. <laughs> so I no longer allow thoughts of destruction, thoughts uh, of despair to rule my mind. You know, the mind talks to itself over and over. You know that, right? The self-talk. And if we don't catch it, most of the time we're talking negatively about ourselves and negatively about other people too, right? So we have to learn how to catch that quickly and stop it and create a new consciousness, a new mode of conversation in your spirit, man. Because that is what allows us to go to the next level with Almighty God. We have power of death and life in our mouths. Amen. Amen. And Paul said this. Paul said, listen, I have to preach the word of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, I think it was 1.11. I'm not, I made a typo here. But 2 Corinthians, maybe 2.11 or something like that. But he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord. See, God had revealed to these men where man is heading with that type of philosophy, with that type of, 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 of lack of understanding, of that type of disconnect from Almighty God. And he says, I know what's going to happen to these people, so I persuade men as much as I can. In Acts chapter 18, you see him talking. He would go to the synagogue. He'd try to reason with men. He'd try to persuade men. You could read that on his own. He used this. First, he'd approach them. He would go to the synagogues. Number two, he would instruct them. He would reason with them. He would inform them about Christ. Then number three, he would appeal to them. He says, listen, will you accept Christ? Will you turn away from dead religion? Will you turn away from these dead philosophies and embrace Christ? Because in Christ there is life. And number four, he said he would stay in that city for a year or two years or a year and a half. So we can apply that. We can go and reason with men and women. We can go reason with our family members. We can go out there and share with them. Do you need prayer? Share with them Christ. And then make the appeal. Will you receive Christ? If you were to die today, do you know where you're going for certain? Are you sure? Yes or no? If you're not sure, you need Christ today. The Bible says, do not delay. Do not wait till tomorrow. If the Holy Spirit calls you today, 
Don't let your heart be hardened. You, you speak that. And then the Bible says, stay with them for a season. That's when you go into their homes. That's when you uh, stay with them and continue to encourage them. It's not just a one-time thing. In the animal kingdom, they, have, uh, they hatch an egg and leave it there. And perchance that, that, that creature might survive. But humans don't do that. When we birth a child, what do we do? We take them home with us. And we give them the milk that they need. And we clean them and dress them and play with them and relate to them. You know, if you don't touch a baby, if the baby's born, you don't touch them, they die. They need human touch. They need human interaction. They need follow-up. Same thing in the spirit. Many times we, we birth people into the kingdom and say, bye, have a great life, you're safe. Bye. That's not scriptural. That's why Jesus said, disciple all the nations. The word disciple means remain with them and make them a student now. And mentor them and walk with them until they can stand on their own. And continue to give them that access. That's one of the biggest mistakes we're doing in local churches today. We're doing, we're doing um, like McDonald's does. You have a side window. What do you want today? Two, bye. That's what we're doing in church. We think the one, one quick prayer. Come out from them all. Okay, you're blessed. Out next. No, that's not. <laughs> you, you, you've seen the same prayers too, right? Yeah, I guess. So we can't do it alone, obviously. We can't. Say to your neighbor, you can't do this by yourself. See, but you don't have to worry about that. Because first thing, Jesus is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's the one that equips us and motivates us for ministry. And number two, the presence of Christ brings us His power and ability to use our limited resources in unlimited ways. I'm going to say that again. You have limited resources, but God has unlimited ways. I'm going to say it a third time, because you need to catch that revelation in your spirit, man. Although you have, un you have limited resources, God has unlimited ways to take those resources and use them for His glory and the benefit of mankind. And then the third thing is, Jesus is with us, but not only by being in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but also being a part of those to whom we are called to minister. All people have been created to be a part of God's kingdom, and they are a part of God's image. All of them, all peoples. So when we meet them in a personal encounter, we're meeting something of Christ. So that person that's on crack, God's image. But he's out of order. So he needs to get back into divine order. God loves him like he loves me. Yet I do all the praying. He's doing no praying. I'm in church every Sunday. He's never in church. Yet God loves him the same way he loves me. Well, that's not fair. Well, excuse me. When you were in the world and you were running away from God, God loves you the same way. So why can't, why can't that same love be extended to So as you read a, a good book called uh, The Salt Shaker, Rebecca Pippert speaks about many of these principles. So I would recommend you get that, The Salt Shaker. So we can do the same thing that Paul did in that day. I recommend to each and every one of you, say, say to me, pastor's about re ready to recommend. Go ahead, say that to your neighbor. So you need to take that important. I'm recommending some. Memorize the Roman road. It'll help you to evangelize, very simply. Memorize the Roman road. What is the Roman road? Four verses. Let's go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. 23. So I want you to mark it in your Bibles. And go to your smartphone and make a text to yourself. Memorize the Roman road. Right? And then send yourself a Google reminder. <clears throat> Get an app for that. Roman road. Right? Send yourself an email. Put it on your day timer. <clears throat> And give yourself a reminder one week from now and do it like every single week for the next 52, 52 weeks. Romans 3.21, I mean 3.23 says, 
You got it? For all have sinned and short, short, fall short of the glory of God. Very simple verse. That is man's need. We all fall short. Today's philosophy says, well, you know, no problem. If you work hard, if you do good works, you're okay. You, could, you know, you're a good man. You're a good woman. Now, the Bible says all have fallen short. See, the problem is you'll never attain the righteousness of God on your own. Because there's sin in your, in your bloodstream. There's sin in your, in your DNA from birth. And what you do with the right hand, you'll mess it up with the left. It's just the way it is. Every single person has that sin tendency. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All missed it. So not one could do it on their own. Then the second verse that we need to uh, memorize is Romans 6.23. 6.23. So for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's sin's penalty. Wages of sin is death. You're separated from God. There's physical death and then there's eternal death. A, there's a separation from Almighty God. Now I know there's a lot of discussion right now about hell. A lot of discussion about what hell really is. I read the scripture. It's not a good place. The worst place about it is the fact that we're not connected to God. We're totally disconnected from the life of God. It's not a place any of us want to be. I don't care how one interprets it. It's not a good place. It says here, the wages of sin is death. So you need to know that. We miss God. Wages of sin is death. Third verse, Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 is God's provision. But God demonstrates His love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's God's provision. Christ died for us while we were sinners. He loved us while we were sinners. So as you're sharing your faith with somebody, you could tell them, listen, God died for you already. He loved you already. You don't have to be good for Him to love you. He already loves you. And then the fourth one is Romans 10. Verses 9 through 13. We'll read from verse 8. What it does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. You see, the heart believes and the mouth confesses. See, that's, that's, that's a very big connection there. We usually confess what our heart actually believes. And that's why you need to feed yourself every day the word of the Lord, the grace of God, the goodness of God. Because once your heart is filled with the love of God, filled with the word of God, filled with the grace of God, then your mouth will confess that very thing. But here it says... With a heart we believe and mouth confesses. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction, distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. He's rich to all who call upon him. The prince, the president, the congressman, the doctor, the person on crack. Doesn't make a difference. He loves them all. He'll receive all for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that's the Roman road that's our challenge to memorize not just for this summer but for the rest of your life and every time you get into that conversation well there are many gods many roads no 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 let's 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 be clear today I believe that we are experiencing several judgments here in America. One judgment was revealed in 1996 to an African man who was praying with his nation. God had told him that one of the judgments that were going to come upon America is that God was going to release them to their own designs and, and desires and he was going to let them have every desire they wanted. It is scary. And today we're seeing it because every single person wants to sue because they're being offended. Because they're being taken out of their comfort level. And it's interesting 
that it invariably comes invariably comes back to Christianity. It invariably invariably attacks the book. Isn't that interesting? Everybody wants their way. It's impossible. You can't have your way all the time. It's just not realistic. Today we're having a big march of a certain group of people that want their way. And again, I'm, I'm just trying to be careful here. Everybody's getting away. Next week you'll have another march. The following you have another march. But little by little, they're chopping away at the foundation of Scripture and the foundation of the reason why this nation was formed. So here's what happens. If you have a building... You built it right. And how do you build a building? First, you have to take down the old structure there. You have to dig deep, create a wonderful foundation, solid foundation. You have to, as much as you're going to go high, that you have to determine how low you're going to go. Because the higher you go, the lower you have to go. Create a solid bedrock, bedrock foundation. If all you do is start building, first floor, second floor, third floor, and forget the foundation, after a while the building is going to go, thunk. you need a solid foundation for the building to remain through the ages. So we in America had a foundation. Our, f- our foundation was scriptural in nature. It was, uh, in nature. It was Judeo-Christian. Right? Were we perfect? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We weren't. But at least we knew the foundation. We could always go back to that. We had a constitution. We, we had the, the biblical foundation. Uh, right on our courts, uh, Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not... You, know, you, you understand what it is. At least we know. Okay, we could look at our foundations. Little by little, those foundations are being taken away. And in the Old Testament, it speaks that a nation that loses its foundation, it becomes as wormwood and rotwood. Rotwood is old wood, you step on it and boom, you go right through it. Today we're living that. We are trying to step on our foundation, it no longer has the strength it had before. And little by little, the foundation is being eroded. And the problem is, a building cannot stand for a long time when the foundation is being chopped at or, or messed up. That happened in Israel a couple of years ago. Um, this building, uh, the owner wanted to make more money, so what he did is on the first floor, he said, I want to make this larger. But there were a lot of beams, so he took the beams out of the center and he made a dance hall on the third floor. So some people got married, a whole group went in, they're all dancing, the traditional dance going around, and all of them went through from the third to the first floor. A lot of people were hurt, and I don't know if some people died, but that's what happens when you take the foundation away. And we're getting precipitously, I got it right the first time, all right, precipitously, dangerously close to a major implosion on a social level. And we're close to a civil war. See, the Bible says God is love. And we are to deal with each other in love. Love thy neighbor. There's a lot of love in there. And love means forgiveness, walk with them, and, and, and desire the best for them. But right now the nation is, is polarized. There's a lot of hate on both sides. They're polarized politically. They're polarized socially. And we're about ready to experience things we have not experienced in in the United States like never before. I'm not trying to scare you. What I'm saying is now is the time when churches should become stronger and stronger. And allow the love of God to flow more and more. Because when that thing hits, bam, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to need ministry. A lot of people that are going to say, you know, we've done it our way and we realize where this has gotten us we need to go, come back to God and I don't know if you remember 9-11 a whole group of people came back to God the churches were packed that Sunday because they realized oh my God our comfort can be taken away in a second our economy could be lost in a second and we have forgotten we're back in our same old mess we're worse now next time it might be a hurricane next time it might be a, a, a horrible earthquake we never know but make no mistakes about it. And I, I just share with you as, as an extra. This is as an extra. After this election, I'm expecting some rocky journey. The year 2013, 2014, I think it's going to be very difficult. Because a lot of things are merging, are morphing toward an after election shockwave. Because it doesn't make a difference whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. There are some issues that we've been kicking down a can for too long. And once that thing hits, it's going to hit us socially. It's going to hit us economically. And what I'm saying is, you know, don't be afraid. You're the church. You know, the grace of God is upon you. God will give, give us wisdom. But this is a time where Christians shouldn't be getting into debt. This is a time we should be getting out of debt. This is a time we should be saving, preparing, not just for us, but to be able to have some for them too. 
Because when they come in and they lose their job because 50,000 being laid off here, 100,000 being laid off there. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's on its way. Make no mistake about it. And I'm on video. This is, right now, somebody from Africa could be hearing this. Or somebody from Europe could be hearing Because we're on internet, live internet right now. So I just want to say, you know, let's, let's allow the voice of the Lord come, to come to us. Begin to cultivate like never before. So especially the young folk, man. You, you young people, you're so powerful. And they're after you, man. They're in the schools. Uh, the professors are teaching you some crazy stuff. And get connected with God like never before. Get filled with the Spirit of God. Get, they're filled with the wisdom of God, with the Word of the Lord. Amen. Stop prophesying in your school. Praise God. Stop prophesying in your campus. Stop prophesying in your job. You know, some of you, 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 you're so afraid to do anything in your job because they got so much, you know, you can't do this, can't do that. And it's all against Scripture. Everything else they can do. But anything Scripture, anything quote-unquote religious, get fired, you get harassed, get harangued. Yeah, stop prophesying over your job. Walk around every day, man. Pray for the walls. Pray in the, uh, go, go to the supervisor's office. In Jesus' name, let this yes. person have an encounter. Amen, glory. What are you doing? Oh, no, 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 I'm all right. I'm all right. Praise God. <laughs> Father, go. Holy Ghost, have your way. <laughs> yeah, we got to pray. We got to pray. So that God would open up the eyes of their understanding. Yes. Praise God. So in closing, I have this verse. 1 Corinthians 9.16 in the Amplified Bible. If I merely preach the gospel, Paul said this, if I merely preach the gospel, that gives me no reason to boast. For I feel compelled of necessity to do it. Woe to me if I do not preach the glad tidings. What did Paul say? Woe to me if I do not preach the glad tidings. Glad tidings mean the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe to us if we don't preach the gospel. Woe to us if we ignore the people that need help. That's our job. God gave us eyes to see. So say, say to your neighbor, you have eyes to see. So we could see clearly. So let's love on them. Let's embrace them. Let's provide opportunities for evangelism. Let's provide opportunities to allow that love to shine today because believe me, they need it.